Claire. And I'm Emma. Welcome to Rich Text, a podcast about our cultural obsessions, like Charlotte York Goldenblatt running through a blizzard to procure condoms for her teenage daughter, whom she is definitely not helicopter parenting in any way. (laughs) That really just sets the scene. If you're listening today, you're already a paid subscriber to our audio and written newsletter, Rich Text a sister podcast to love to see it with Emma and Claire. Thank you, as always, for being here. You quite literally make our work possible. We're here today because we have caught up on episodes three through six of And Just Like That season two. And I mean, that's four episodes, four episodes jam packed with semi related slash unrelated plots <laughs> i'm like semi-related feels really generous sometimes there's like a vague thematic note of some kind something that this series really lacks is that kind of connective tissue of like while charlotte was doing da 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 uptown samantha was downtown you know da 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 I know a little that word the voiceover, <laughs> the carry voiceover was so mocked for so many years and yet i miss it It is what made the show distinctive. And the issue is they haven't totally gotten rid of it. They just do the really corny little taglines at the end. And it's always, and just like that, I repurposed my pain. And they don't have that kind of corny wordplay that arises from being forced to draw connections between two unrelated plot lines that are happening in different neighborhoods of New York City. And, and instead, we just have totally unrelated plot lines and no one's even attempting to connect them at all. Yeah. Like, I I was trying to define some themes for each of these four episodes, and it was truly impossible. <laughs> Let's start with episode three, which you've singled out the themes, I think, correctly, of grief and crime. <laughs> this is where <laughs> we're at with our themes. <laughs> It's about grief and it's also about crime and how it's just ravaging New York City and it's making the lives of pretty well-off women quite uncomfortable. So Carrie's central plot line is that she has, embarrassingly, as she puts it, been asked to read the audiobook of her new book, Loved and Lost, instead of getting, you know, just like a casual famous actress like Julianne Moore to do it. I think that the way that she's like, just get a famous actress to do it speaks to how rich she is. She's like, Julianne Moore is basically like a PA for me. <laughs> like, she is a freelancer that I hire to do the stuff I don't feel like doing. But they really want her to read it to give it that personal touch. And of course, it turns into a very painful emotional experience because she's reading aloud from a personal account of her husband's sudden death in front of her. And as she's in the audio booth reading, she just completely breaks down and can't get through chapter three. But what really struck me in this scene is that once again, I was like, the writers of this scene are directly rebutting critics of season one in the writing of this scene because after carrie found big there was so much criticism of like why did carrie just stand there as big lay dying on the shower floor why didn't she call an ambulance why does she just freak out in the doorway for 10 minutes and so she literally reads a passage from her book that that goes i felt like i stood there for hours 
But it was only a moment. See? Yeah. We told you. <laughs> they it told was only us. A moment. It was just a little bit of dramatic license. Then they have her producer be like, can you do that bit again about how long you waited, but without waiting so long? <laughs> just to... He doesn't get it. He's like the critics of season one. He doesn't understand that she really didn't wait that long. But understandably, this is a tough emotional moment of for course. Carrie. Yeah. I think one of the few moments in these four episodes where you're like, yes, this feels like an appropriate emotional response. <laughs> yeah, appropriate emotional responses are not like a hallmark of Sex and the City as a franchise. And, and certainly, certainly not <laughs> of and just like, like that. that. But, but this, it's like, yes, this would be a deeply difficult thing. Yeah. So, of course, instead of just expressing that and taking a beat, she decides to fake COVID. Yeah. She's like, first, I go to Bergdorf's to buy every high heel they have. If I still can't read aloud from the book, which she cannot, she has to pretend to have COVID. Those are kind of the two paths. I'm like, does she understand that COVID... <laughs> doesn't last forever she's like clearly it'll be easier for them to get julianne more to fill in for me during this five-day stint than for them to reschedule for a week from now (laughs) for me to just do this as they planned she just like leaves the producer a casual voicemail being like just get a famous oscar-winning actress to do it i tested positive for covid what a bummer it's a very Carrie thing to do, quite honestly. It, honestly, honestly, it is. Extremely I didn't even Carrie. mind this. I didn't even mind this plot. There's a nothing plot more I... Carrie than this whole thing, honestly, where she's like, everything is about me. I'm constantly self-obsessed and a narcissist. But the one thing that I refuse to act like matters is the fact that my husband died. She's like, I don't want to make a big deal about how my husband died. And that's really sad for me. And I'm like, you don't? Every You are constantly making a big deal about things that happened to you. Like, this would be an appropriate one to really yeah. harp on. You're, you're allowed. You're allowed. A plot I have a bit of a harder time with is Charlotte and Lisa Todd Wexley being really thrilled that they rank high on the MILF list circulating at their children's very posh school and also subsequently like creeping with the other moms on a young teenage boy. It's a really gross plot line. What's happening? I feel like there's a lot of the and just like that experience that is just like, well, but when women do it, it's empowering. (laughs) And this is a pretty prime example of that kind of theme which is like oh they find out there's this mill ranking circulating and they're so ex- determined to get the list they're so excited to see how high they're ranked they're number two and three they're absolutely thrilled if this were men talking about how they were perceived sexually by girls at their child's school it wouldn't be cute i don't know why i'm supposed to think this is cute that they're so into being ranked highly as milfs by a child and then they see the culprit being called into the principal's office milo h and they're like oh he's hot so this is even better what a thrill it's another one of those plots that like this could have been done more subtly and been effective like outwardly they're horrified but then they take some amount of pleasure and being like oh we're still we're still desirable that to me would seem like a normal human reaction especially when as women age we're so often told like go into the corner become invisible like I don't think it's crazy to be like oh I'm a little flattered that someone thinks I'm a MILF (laughs) 
But the way it's done is like, let's bonk you over the head and then let's have you literally scam on a teenager, which is very creepy and predatory. Right. Because their reaction is genuinely like, oh, look at him. He got hot. Like, oh, baby. And I I just simply don't think that's an appropriate reaction to have. You don't? To a teenager so at your child's school. It's upsetting. Lisa's like, why do I feel like Blanche Dubois? And I'm like, are we romanticizing this? Or like if someone was making a Lolita reference and it was a dad, a Dilf, and a teenage girl, I don't think we would. Also, I think that there is like a way in which it's presented as like he did something really fucked up and like he's going to be punished and it's going to be on his permanent record. And I just like felt a little bit I was like I actually want to dig into that more like he is a teenager and they are adult women like I it's not that I support ranking women by hotness but it kind of doesn't feel like an appropriate reaction to put on his college transcript that he is like why would that be on any like it's so weird yeah very weird (laughs) and they're like arguing like as a display of restorative justice which we care about very passionately we should not punish him for this and i'm like yeah maybe you shouldn't punish him for this but it seems like they're only arguing that because they're flattered and they think he's hot i've uh, (laughs) i was like they're just throwing a lot of thorny issues about abolitionism and restorative justice and the the gendered way that we look at sexual predation and power and they just kind of like toss them all out there and then they give a little giggle and they're like anyway that plot line's over now yeah (laughs) miranda is still in LA. Che is very busy rehearsing for the taping of their pilot. So Miranda fills some of her time by going to get some flash tattoo art to commemorate this seminal time in her life so that she never goes back to the person she used to be, just some robot who is billing 80-hour weeks for some corporate law firm. She, like, turns the tattoo artist into her therapist And then he's like, I have already a pre-drawn robot flash tattoo that's perfect for what you're telling me. (laughs) I feel like Miranda is just truly turning into a character who is unrecognizable to me. I don't understand what they're doing with Miranda and it's upsetting. It's like she like I and they're trying to do this thing where it's like, yes, she is a different person now. And I'm like, but she doesn't seem to really have much, if any, relationship to the person she used to be and usually when we change we still have some like coherent personality traits right right (laughs) well no that's exactly the thing i buy that someone might reach a certain point in their life and be like the thing that i've prioritized no longer feels relevant or like i've discovered this new piece of myself my sexuality that that those are all real things that happened but Miranda is someone who always cared deeply about her work and cared deeply about the way that she organized her life. And so to have that just be totally thrown away feels very odd. Yes, maybe you might find the work you did unfulfilling and so you want to move into a new phase of what that work might look like. But to dismiss her whole career as like, I was just some automaton filling it, like that was never how Miranda seemed to feel about the work she did. Right. Well, and in season one, they're making this transition where they're like, Miranda is someone who has an awakening and is like, my work isn't meaningful enough. 
So she goes back to school. Goes back to school, right. And in theory, that's still what she's doing, but it has fallen away from the depiction of Miranda in this season. Like, class is just something she has to fit in off screen around all the things she actually cares about, like getting flash tattoos in LA or making pancakes for her estranged husband and son, which we'll get to later. I cannot... She's just like a grab bag of different people at different points in this season, and none of them seem to bear any relationship to the Miranda that we used to know. Right. Like, where is this passion for her work just channeled into a new kind of work? I would love to to see what is she learning when she's going back to school? What does she envision this next phase of her professional life to be? It just, right. And instead... It's just like nowhere to be found. She's just running after Che and then running after Brady and then running after Steve. Yeah. And then just running around like a chicken with her head cut (laughs) off. It's not an arc that really is working for me. But I she at this point, she's supposed to be sort of acting out flailing. But she thinks everything is going really well. And she's like it's great out here she's calling carrie to be like i'm gonna get this tattoo and carrie's like this isn't you don't get a tattoo come back to new york and miranda's like i'm never coming back it's great out here it's like pretend life this is miranda on vacation from her old self i guess which i guess fair fair enough it's just that like it it's not still cohesively assembled into a through line with the entire arc of her character but they're leaning hard into like miranda is now just like a giggly person who runs away from life and gets tattoos and is super easygoing and doesn't care about her career and that's that's just a little vacation she's taking from reality right now so she decides to get a tattoo but not anywhere it could be seen she's like carrie where did you think i'd get it my neck i'm not joining a gang ha ha hysterical her best new friend, the therapist, has tattoos all over his scalp and neck. So I, you would think she would be a little more sensitive. Also, but... like, she's not a hundred. I She's seen tattoos. I'm sorry. <laughs> People in their 50s have tattoos. She ends up getting a very Miranda-style tattoo, which is her own initials on her wrist. Like, in case she forgets her name, I guess. It's always there. <laughs> Well, she too, like us, she's trying to figure out who the fuck she is. Yeah, she's MH. Che, again, is rehearsing for the taping of their pilot. Miranda is trying to help, but it's so difficult because her shitty new Android makes it really hard to look at the script doc to run lines. Also, her Android just keeps missing calls. It just doesn't ring. Apple really invested in this series is what i'm understanding multiple times she's like this android is just not working i can't believe i let them talk me into this android phone something that i can't but cannot believe this android barely even functions in the basic way that you expect a phone to function i wish that i had gotten another iphone something that i'm never hearing from my friends with androids is that it doesn't ring when they're getting a phone call i think this is a pretty clear defamation of androids but you gotta pay to play if you're not willing to use your market force
You just listened to a free preview of this week's Rich Text podcast. If you like what you heard and you want to listen to the rest of this week's podcast and our entire Rich Text back catalog, you can become a paying subscriber at clarendemma.substack.com. If not, you can still enjoy our free weekly recommendations. Rich Text is hosted, produced, and edited by us, Claire Fallon and Emma Gray. You can find the written version of Rich Text at clarenemma.substack.com. You can find us on Instagram at Claire and Emma Pod, and you can find our other podcast, Love to See It, over at Stitcher and wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as on TikTok and Twitter at Love to See It Pod. You can also find us individually at Claire E. Fallon and at Emma Lady Rose. Thanks for listening. 